0: Like I said, this series does not only deal with fasting per se, but while it is the topic of the series, in it is the unearthing of other principles, not specifically relative to fasting, that we need to consider. Principles which are essential for our spiritual growth, our migration, and development. Now please excuse me, I need to read this chapter again, simply for the sake of the recording. Okay? Acts 27. These notes will be available to you um, on Tuesday. I will email them by a PDF. Please make sure, even our visitors, we have your email address. And so I will email these notes to you by Tuesday. They will be available next week, Sunday here, in terms of hard copies. Amen. Acts 27. Now, this particular session deals with Paul's approach to fasting. I'm going to isolate this particular incident in which he fasted together with 275 other prisoners, a total of 276 all together with him on a ship. It was fasting on the Day of Atonement. Now, the, the, the fast that usually took place on the Day of Atonement was, in the Jewish calendar, a day in which the priest would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people to atone for their sin. The word atonement, I said to you previously, if you break it up, means at one So it's to bring people that are not reconciled together, specifically God and man. So when your sin is atoned for, you become reconciled to God. Your sin keeps you away from God. In Israel's history, a specific day in the Old Covenant was set aside where the priest would offer sacrifice, it was called the Day of Atonement, where the sins of the nation literally would be forgiven. On that specific day, God expected the nation to fast. It was a one-day fast in the entire year calendar, where literally the entire nation would subject themselves to fasting. God specifically said in the commandment relative to this Day of Atonement, that you shall afflict your souls and humble yourself with fasting. Because God was being so gracious by the act of blood sacrifices, he would atone and and forgive the sins of the people, and they would be so reconciled to God. God said, on this day, as this takes place, I do not want any pride in the nation or self-righteousness. Everybody fast, afflict your souls, humble yourself, so that you can participate in this gracious act, this divine kindness. That God was being um, was bestowing upon the, the nation. So the journey seemed to have started somewhere on the day of atonement. All devout Jews. And it seems like most of these prisoners were Jews. So they would be practicing Jews. They would be fasting to receive this gracious act of God's kindness. In that God is saying to them, I don't consider and regard your sin anymore. Now... You must remember, Jesus had already died at this stage. This is the book of Acts, not so. The Lamb had, been, had paid the price once and for, for all for the sins of mankind. Paul was living in a time where um, there was this movement of some people out of the law into accepting what Christ has done. Because when Christ died on the cross, there was no need for animal sacrifices there, thereafter. But there were some devout Jews who still practice this. Even today, under its modern name, Yom Kippur, um, Messianic Jews, some of them, devout Jews, still practice this fast annually. Whatever the, whatever the case is, it was a one-day fast. And as Quentin rightly said, it extended into a 14-day fast by virtue of a particular storm that they encountered via on while they were on a ship en route to Rome over the Mediterranean okay now let me read this the, the story and i want to highlight a few things and what we're going to do is draw some principles that we need to learn about fasting and also some general principles which i believe the holy ghost wants to highlight tonight amen But before we go, aren't you glad that your sins have been taken care of? Amen? Jesus Christ died as the perfect Lamb of God. I enjoyed Franz Duplessis' Facebook post this morning on Facebook. He said, it's not about the bunny, it's about the lamb. (laughs) It's not about the bunny, it's about the lamb. Today, it's not about Easter eggs and hot cross buns and bunnies. It's about the perfect Lamb of God that gave Himself As a a ransom for you and I, by His blood, we have redemption. Amen. You can be free from your sins tonight. Uh, You can be reconciled with God. Your sins can be washed away. It's simply a matter of receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior, coming to Him, not in your own self-righteousness or by any good works which you have done. Jesus can save you. I say it again. If you're not saved tonight, you can be saved. If you're not saved tonight, you can be reconciled to God. You can be at one with your God. Amen? At one with your God. And if anybody needs prayer for this afterwards, please come and see me. um, And we will welcome you into the kingdom. And your sins can be forgiven and washed away. Amen? Acts 27, quickly. Are you following? How many people love the Word? I I hope this is not laborious to reread. You've been reading it in the week, I hope, I asked you. Now it's Quentin read it, now it's me reading it again. Amen. But as Dr. Siggy often says, repetition is the mother of learning. Amen. When it was decided we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some of the other prisoners to the centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Who is writing the book of Acts, by the way? Who is the author of this book? Luke, the physician. He uses the plural pronoun we. What does that tell you? Luke is on the ship. Luke and Aristarchus were Paul's brothers in the kingdom. Many people believed that they were Paul's spiritual sons as well, right? So it's not just Paul alone. He's with his companions, Aristarchus, and Luke the doctor, Luke the physician. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, Ruth, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, is accompanying Paul on on this voyage, right? The next day we put out to Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friend's. Receive care. Please remember, he's part of a group of prisoners and they're on their way to Rome. If you read the context of Acts 26, the previous chapter, you would realize that the Jewish attempts to bring him to trial and to give him a just and fair trial failed. And the matter was kept being deferred, and it's now deferred to Roman authorities, Caesar in particular. Right? I'll explain that at the end of the study, how that appearing before Caesar in Rome was a most critical aspect of the will of God that was attending Paul's life. God is working all things for, for good throughout this, throughout this seeming storm. And we know that when we go through bad times, don't focus on the roughness of your present trial. Focus on the outcome. Sometimes the pathway to destiny is fraught with adversity. But adversity is not designed to impede your destiny. If you have the right mentality, hard times, difficult times, adversity is actually designed to catapult you into destiny. Ask Joseph, Jacob's son, remember? Ask him how that the harsh treatment of him by his brothers was actually his ticket to kingship to rule in egypt okay it was a promise made to him you will be a ruler one day you will rule even over your brothers and your father you'll be a mighty ruler he had this via dreams that the lord had given to him little did he know that the pathway to get there would be the lies his brother would tell about him the hatred he would feel by his brothers. They are selling of him. To an Ishmaelite caravan that was passing through. For 20 pieces of silver they sold him. Devalued his life. Thought nothing of him. Right? But that was the way in which God would have propelled him into destiny. Yet too. is a scenario of playing itself. In which Paul. The apostle. Has got destiny in mind. But God does not reveal how you would get him there. Amen. I will talk more to this later. But keep these things within your mind. Verse 4. We put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pampilia, we landed in Myra in Lycia. I have a map in your notes which you would get, isolating all of these places and showing the actual route that this ship would have taken. Okay, and you will follow. You can follow it there when you get it. Verse 6, Then the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days, with difficulty we had arrived off Nidus. Since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, of Salmonia. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to the place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia, or Lacy. When considerable time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous. Since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. So this text says, the fast was already over the fast is the fast on the day of atonement in which they would fast to receive this gracious act of god's forgiveness it's interestingly what it what it says here it says the voyage was now dangerous since or because the fast was over i right? will talk to that in a moment And said to them, men, Paul says, he he admonishes them, he says, men, I perceive the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our, our very lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision. Repeat that after me. The majority reached a decision. As Paul's view, by perception, he says, I perceive. By spirit perception, he says, I perceive. Although, let me, let me paraphrase. He's literally saying, I'm not trained in maritime issues. I don't know the seas all too well, although he had before this been in prize shipwrecks. Read the book of Acts, right? All he's saying is, I perceive by the Spirit, if we continue with this journey, we will be in danger of the loss of the ship and also of our lives. But the captain and the pilot of the ship thought otherwise, based on their skill, their expertise, and their knowledge of the seas. And then democracy overruled theocracy. The majority made a decision against the advice of of Paul. And so they continue sailing. And when, verse 13, when a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before long, repeat after me, before long. Right? Right? they supposed they had reached or attained their purpose. In other words, all external factors seemed to have corroborated the initial decision to continue with the journey. But suddenly, or before long, there arose, listen carefully, they, they, they rushed down from the land a violent wind called uroquilio. Uroquilio is the Latin term Most of your texts say Euroclidon, right? The Greek term is uroclidon. The Latin term is Euraquilo. If you want the Greek term, it's the gregalia or the Gregale, literally meaning the gale which blows from Greece. Blows on land, from land, it rushes down into the Mediterranean at violent speeds. It's called Euroclidon, Even its name sounds dangerous would like to confront this northeaster? Northeast wind called Eurocladon. Sailors say, if you encounter, I did some research on this. They say if you encounter this particular wind in the Mediterranean, it comes without notice. It comes suddenly, it comes within seconds, they say. It can be calm, it can be it can be and you think you're fine, then all of a sudden, the entire sea changes character. It's a tempestuous wind. It's typhonic in character, almost hurricane-like. Its intent is to destroy everything in its its path. No human ingenuity at that time um, of existence could have withstood the the literal sheer strength and power of Eurocladon. And let me just say this, at some stage in your life, Eurocladon is going to blow your way too. There will be trials and difficulties sometimes we will have to bear in life against which we feel totally helpless. In fact, you'll read on here, it says they tried to, navigate but this wind comes up against you and they, they, they try to reposition themselves but they gave up and it says we we simply resigned ourselves to its strength and let it drive us wherever it wanted to toss to and fro without any sense of control. So the wind determined the direction and the destination that they would go, and don't you feel like that sometimes in life? Some of the times, you're, the things that you go through seem to be so difficult, so hard, so difficult to bear that they seeming to, to be dictating the pace and the direction of your life. But I'm here to tell you this evening: there's hope tonight. There's, this this is a message of great hope. You will not die. Your ship might be broken. You might lose some cargo. But you will not die, and the purpose of God with attendant with your life will be preserved. Amen? This passage has been a source of tremendous encouragement to me over the years. And I knew we were going to have to deal with it because it deals with fasting. In context, Paul and the crew were fasting. single day of fasting now extends into a 14-day fasting period. Verse 15, when the ship was caught in it, we could not face the wind and gave way to it, and we let ourselves be driven along. I'm going to read out a few verses because of time. Verse 18, the next day we were being violently storm-tossed and began to jettison the cargo. Verse 20, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, think of total blackness, Think of total darkness on the Mediterranean Sea, your ship being tossed to and fro, and you'll see later they give up all hope that they would survive. They resign themselves to the fact that, well, death is surely imminent. There's no way out of this one, right? We can't even see what we're experiencing. All we know is total calamity. Verse 21. Let me stop there and I'll come back to the text. I want to make a few statements and then come back to the text in a moment. The first point I want to impress upon your hearts is this, that divine protection and immunity is a benefit of accurate fasting. Divine protection and immunity is a benefit of, of of accurate fasting. We read a few weeks ago and we studied Ezra's account where he fasted for safe passage from Babylon to Jerusalem. Ezra 8.23. If God permits, we might deal with Esther's fast. Uh, in Esther 4.16, where she requested of the Jews to fast with her or for her, right? And the fast, amongst other things, was to give a favor as she approached the king so as to preserve the life of the entire Jewish race, which at that time was under great threat. Fasting saved the whole nation in that context. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, something which we'll also discuss later, Jehoshaphat was surrounded by three enemies. Jehoshaphat and the armies of God, Surrounded by three enemies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the people of Mount Seir, which are the Edomites. They were ambushed. There was no way out. All right? He instructs the nation, everybody, wives, children, everybody, let's fast unto the Lord to seek a way, a way out. God gave them divine instruction as how to position themselves in this battle. And that day, they were not only saved, but all their enemies were defeated. Fasting positions you to receive divine instruction that can save your life, save your marriage, save your business, save your destiny. Amen. I perceive there will be no loss of anything pertinent relative to the destiny that God has for your life. I want to say that with with emphasis. By the Spirit of the Lord, I speak to us tonight. Excuse me. There will be no loss. You will not suffer loss in terms of business. You will not suffer loss in terms of marriage. You will not suffer loss in terms of the destiny that God has for you. Because God is going to confer upon you divine protection. Amen? And God will even give you strategy as you seek Him. It's amazing the ideas God can give. It's no more just a man idea, it's a God idea. If you seek God by prayer and fasting, whatever is threatening any specific facet of your life can be preserved. And there will be no loss. Fasting confers upon the one who fasts divine protection. In fact, it's one of the blessings that fasting brings. In Isaiah 58, which I keep telling you, is the last of the sessions we're going to deal with in fasting when we get there. It's the chapter in the Old Testament that deals with with fasting. One of the blessings in that passage that is listed as a blessing of fasting is this. It's Isaiah 58 and verse 8. It says, The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Or the glory of the Lord will be your re-reward, King James. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. In other words, the glory of the Lord will be your your, pro-protection. In verse 11 of that same uh, chapter, it says this, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and He will give strength to your bones. You get the guidance of the Lord. The Lord will satisfy you in dry places, and the Lord will give strength to your bones. So when you're feeling weak, to the one who fasts, you can expect an infusion of divine strength. An infusion of divine help. He will, he will satisfy you in a scorched or parched place. In other words, where there's lack, God will ensure that you have provision. Everything else around you might be arid, dry, nothing moving, nothing happening. But for you, things can be vastly different. Amen. And the Lord will guide you. It says continually, you can expect the continual guidance of the Lord. Everybody else might be hard-pressed for a strategy, for a way out. But God will sovereignly give you a plan. These things are not just biblical, but they must be experienced. And I want to encourage us this evening. God is faithful to take care of His Son. Tell your neighbor, you will not suffer loss. You will not suffer loss. I want to encourage you, in seasons like this, at times, given the nature of your Eurachlidon, it might be wise to extend your fasting. You know, it was only 14 days here. I believe if this, if this, if this continued, that they would have continued beyond 14 days with their fast. Right? Um, And I want to encourage you, sometimes the length of your fast will be determined by the hour of your breakthrough. At times we give up just before we are about to receive the breakthrough. How long did Daniel fast in Daniel chapter 9? 21 days. Why didn't he fast 23 days or even 14 days? Why? Why? What the, the Bible says, when the angel of the Lord came to him on the 21st day, the angel of the Lord said to him, Daniel, from the first day, from day one, that you set your heart to seek the Lord by prayer and fasting, you were heard, and I was dispatched to you to give you the answer. Right? But the prince of Persia withstood me, and there was this battle raging in the unseen spirit world between these angelic hosts demonic host prevented this angel from pushing through to get to Daniel with the answer. But the angel enlisted the help of another angel, Michael the archangel, and together they overpowered this prince of Persia, this demonic principality. So had there been no, had there been no resistance, when would Daniel have gotten his answer? On day one. But I believe his position and uh, his position in fasting played a major role in the outcome of that battle. Right? And sometimes we give up far too quickly in prayer and in fasting. I want to encourage you, don't give up until you see an answer to your, to your prayer. Amen? Don't give up. And you will discern by the Spirit of the Lord when to break a fast. Amen? When to break a fast. Um, just be governed and be guided. Be led by the Spirit of the Lord. In Luke four one, it says Jesus was led. It was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and there he fasted for forty days. But that fast was led. Even in its timing was again led by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. So I want to encourage you. We have to develop strong people. We have to develop not flaky Christians that are weak and simply give up when the trial intensifies. If your issue intensifies, your posture in prayer and fasting should be the more intense. Amen? Like Paul aptly demonstrates for us. Now, what I want to focus on, a a second principle that arises from this narrative is this. The failure to heed godly counsel is a major theme of Acts 27. Like I said, Paul says, I perceive that if we continue with this journey, we are going to suffer great loss. Who is Paul in this context? He represents a servant of God. He also represents an apostle. He represents the apostolic spirit. He represents also a spiritual father. One who carries the word of the the word of the Lord for those under his oversight. He represents the mouthpiece of God. He represents the mind of God in their context. He said, I perceive that this journey will be fraught with great peril should we continue. But they did not heed his voice and they chose rather to listen, listen carefully, they chose to listen to the voice of human reason based upon scientific evidence, and skill of trained experts on the sea. Right? Now, very often, sometimes the Word of God will not make rational sense. Very often, if God talks to you about an issue, if you weigh weigh it up from a natural mindset, you might reject what God is saying because your view is earthly. Your view is natural. Your mindset is I'm assessing the facts as they are. Based on the facts, Pilate, the captain, and then the majority say, it's fine to continue the journey. But Paul, Paul's intelligence is not natural. This is spiritual intelligence. He's tapping into a knowledge that goes beyond human wisdom. And you know, it it, it it is painful for men who are knowledgeable in a particular sphere or realm to humble themselves to receive a view of of someone who claims to be the servant of the Lord and receive information or intelligence which contradicts what they hold to be true. In those instances, you must elect, you must opt to, to obey God rather than men. To obey God in this instance seemed foolish. It seemed not the thing to, not the thing to do. But it was the the word of the Lord for them. So human wisdom always contradicts the will of the Lord. Sometimes God says to you something. Embark upon this course of action. You say, but if I do, um, it won't make natural sense. Very often the word of God cannot and does not have to be appraised by natural standards. And I want to encourage you tonight. Paul, I want to use his representation as a spiritual leader in this context. He's like a spiritual father speaking to spiritual sons. And very often when a spiritual father warns, everyone say warns. The Bible says he began to admonish them. Strong word in the Greek. He Began to warn them that if you continue like this. Not only are you going to lose everything, but your life itself will be lost. Our lives are in danger of being lost, right? The voice of human reason overrode the voice of God in Paul. And they they opted to continue the journey. Now I want to read to you, listen carefully, from John 10. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, my sheep know what? My voice of all the animals, God chose to liken us unto. He called us sheep. Hey? tell your neighbor, man, <laughs> you are a sheep. Amen. <laughs> sheep would be saying, "Man, amen." <laughs> the thing about sheep is they need leadership. Sheep need a shepherd. It's an apt, a an apt symbolic um, allegory, if you would. Symbol is totally, totally apt that we would be sheep. Now, sheep have one shepherd. And sheep get to know the voice of their shepherd. And if there's constant engagement of sheep with a particular shepherd, they will only listen to that voice. Somebody else can come on the scene and give instruction and try maneuver the sheep, the sheep will not listen to that voice because they've, they've grown too accustomed to the voice of the shepherd. John 10, from verses 1 to 5 reads like this. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not enter by the door into the fold, listen carefully. Now you know in that culture, they had sheep pens. Eh? Sheep pins, and there was a a door, a sheep fold or sheep pen, and there was an entrance point. Think of that and listen to the words of Jesus. He says, he's talking to his disciples. Truly I say to you, whoever does not enter by the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way, he's a thief and a robber. Right? The shepherd comes to the door, but robbers and thieves, trying to kill or steal sheep, they jump over the... The fence. Please listen very, very carefully. I need you 110% concentration. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he puts forth his own, he goes ahead of them. How do leaders lead? They lead ahead of their people. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. A stranger or a hireling. It says a stranger they will simply not follow but will flee from him. Why? Because they do not know his voice. Right? They do not know his voice. Here Paul speaks, and they cannot recognize that this is actually the voice of the great shepherd speaking through this shepherd to this flock on this ship. They could not discern that this is the voice of a, of a true shepherd concerned for our welfare, and he's warning us about not to continue with the particular path of action, a particular course of direction that we have plotted to go you know I'm, not, I'm speaking prophetically to the house tonight please hear with your spirit I sense warnings that God is giving some of you that should you persist and should you continue then it'll be at your own peril if you violate biblical principle biblical standards voice through this shepherd because I am the shepherd over this particular flock. I warn you tonight that you could suffer loss of many things, even of your own lives. There is a serious need to heed godly counsel. Amen. Don't reject it, but you must discern the voice. Tell your neighbor, discern the voice. Discern the voice. You know, after this, we often quote the famous verse 10. I want a time to go through the whole text. But in verse 10, Jesus said, the thief, this guy that jumps over the fence, the thief cometh not but to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We have traditionally interpreted the thief as the devil. But contextually, it's not the devil. Contextually, yes, all of these descriptors, kill, steal, destroy, can be attributed to Satan. But contextually, It refers to Pharisees and scribes, false shepherds that come into the sheep to lead them astray. Hmm? Hallelujah. So the thief in John 10 is a false shepherd. Do not listen to the voice of a false shepherd. Do not listen to the voice, it says, of a stranger. Particularly when the voice of the stranger is in contradiction to the view of your spiritual father. Decide to listen to the voice of the shepherd, which is designed to save you. Amen? Your salvation tonight is dependent upon the degree to which you heed and listen. I've said many things to you in the last quarter. Three months of 2015 have gone. It's January, February, March. Right? Three months of this year have gone. There are only three uh, quarters left, literally. Not so? There have been soundings of warnings of things. Some of you have spoken to privately. Some of you have taught some issues corporately. Sounded several warnings. And I believe this word comes to endorse and to entrench that what you heard was indeed a warning because God loves you. It was a warning because God cares and because God loves us. Amen? It's amazing, eh? How that... The pilot and the captain, yeah, the helmsman, they, based on the experience, contradicted Paul. Right? I can imagine if you were making a movie of this scene, how would you play this particular scene out? Someone who claims to be hearing God is saying, don't go. you based on your experience. is contradicting him. And, and Ed, the majority, everybody else on board, opposes Paul. The majority is not always right. Democracy is the rule of the majority. Democracy is opposed to theocracy, which is the rule of, of God. Not because every, the majority decide on a matter does it make the majority rule correct. The rightness of a matter is not dependent upon how many vote for it. The rightness of a matter is Is based upon the word of God. Amen. Very often in scripture. The view of the majority. Was in contradiction. To the will of God. Who did the crowd choose? Jesus or Barabbas? They chose Barabbas. Remember? And they crucified Jesus. The majority most times. Very prone to make a decision. In contradiction to the will of the Lord. And I want to encourage you. I'm saying this prophetically because some of you will be tested in this. Listen to the voice of godly counsel and do not be persuaded by the majority opinion. Particularly when that opinion contradicts biblical, tried and true biblical principles tested and voiced in and through your spiritual father. Amen. Do not be swayed by the crowd. I dare to say do not even be swayed by your family. If your family's views contradict biblically, sound views echoed in and through your spiritual leader. Very, very important. And so they did not heed him, and the rest is history, as it were. You know it's an amazing thing? The moment they made this decision, the scripture says, when a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, their weight anchor, and began to sail close to crete inshore not leaving the shore from their view what literally happened is they seemed to enjoy favorable conditions that seemed to have justified their action their decision and i can imagine them. must you see they must have said you see paul we were right look at how we're enjoying this favor and, and these seemingly favorable conditions now Based upon the majority decision that contradicted contradicted your your view. Now listen to me very carefully. I wrote in my notes. Listen carefully. I want you to listen with with, with, with great concentration. This word comes um, as a very pertinent word for me, for my life, but I believe for the house corporately. The fact that, based on a particular but inaccurate personal decision influenced by forces outside of and in contradiction to spiritual and credible leadership external conditions in your life seem to be progressing along fairly favorably it does not make the decision accurate the fact that you are enjoying favorable conditions does not make an inaccurate condition uh, uh, an inaccurate decision that was in contradiction to, to advice. And you decide, and now you enjoy favorable external conditions. The favorability of your circumstance does not corroborate the accuracy of your decision. Do you understand? Amen? It's the voice of God that decides the accuracy of a decision. Hmm? It's not the... I mean, if you looked at Job in his own trial and testing, Totally unfavorable external circumstances, right? But the man was still in contact with his God, still serving God. Amen? So I want to encourage you that do not be self-deceived or self-deluded and be lulled into a sense of false security when, when you violate a biblical principle or standard and things are not overtly, negatively affected in your life. You, you surmise, you conclude, well, I can't be that bad after all. See, there's no judgment of God yet. Yeah? See, things are moving along fairly well. Nothing, nothing deeply unfavorable is happening to my life. That is self-deception. Self-deception. And you get lulled into a place of of, 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 of deception. And this is what happened, literally happened, on this voyage. But suddenly, I'll wake you up. <laughs> okay. Before long it says, Euroclidon is around the corner waiting to unleash its venom. To, to, to confirm that what Paul warned them about was coming to pass. Amen? You know, people only turn to God in crisis. That's when... It's when your marriage is almost on the rocks, then suddenly you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Pastor, where you come. <laughs> then suddenly grace is valued in your sight. I want to preempt, I want to prevent, rather. <laughs> You're your rock Lydon. But like Quinton said earlier, there are some storms you can't say peace be still to. There are some storms that are ordered by the Lord for you. God has specific special order. You know special order? God says special order, yeah? You rock Blow your way. Right? Because my son did not heed the voice of his spiritual father. Maybe the voice of a wind will convince him. Hmm? Sometimes even the prodigal son left his father prematurely but a pigsty was able to convince him that was better in his father's house circumstances sometimes speak louder i want to encourage you you rather obey before the calamity strikes but you know uh, i could not help in reading and rereading this i played it through several audio bibles on the net various versions some of these guys on the audio Bible read it so dramatically like you, like you were literally there. The sound effects and everything, waves crashing in the background. Even I was, had <laughs> my computer open one day in the office. I'd be like, ducky. It's like I'm on the ship too, you know. You must try it. read the, Just Google audio Bibles. There's several freely available. Just say Acts 27. Select your translation and let one of these guys read Acts 27. You'll literally feel like your rocklet is in your room. <laughs> Some of them have such... Dramatic sound effects. But I really want to encourage us not to be deceived. First Thessalonians 5, 3a says, When they say peace and safety, then destruction will come suddenly. Okay? But, you know, I couldn't help even in listening and rereading that even tonight, listen carefully, there's mercy and grace tonight. It's Resurrection Sunday. That even if you have made the wrong decision. That you will not lose anything, not lose your life. God's mercy and grace is here to save you. Amen. I like how the story ends. They were all saved. They are all saved at the end of the day. But I want to encourage you. Why endure something you don't have to by simply being obedient? Why endure some of the difficulty you have to because of disobedience? Rather just obey and prevent the calamity. Amen. Now, they were unable to face the wind. You know, the meaning of Eurocladon is violent agitation. Violent agitation. It's a wind that violently agitates. Like I said, in this context, they fasted. One day of fasting extended into 14 days of fasting. Um, I read several commentaries. Some of the commentators say, This was not a fast, but it had to have been a fast because food was abundantly available on the ship, right? And would not grown men battling tempestuous seas and winds need energy um, to to, to manage these things, right? So for me, there was a willing abstinence from from food. Let me read you the account. In verse 21, it says, We had gone a long time without food. In verse 33, it says, Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating and having taken nothing. Everyone say watching. Right? Gregorio is the Greek word. Watchings implying a prayerful posture. Right? Watch and pray, Jesus said. Watchings... Is a, a phrase that alludes to very strong, vigilant. To watch is to be vigilant, a prayerful posture of, of great vigilance. So obviously these men were seeking God, you know, seeking God in this time of, of, of fasting. Um, and so it says in verse 34, Paul said, I encourage you now to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair, from your head, of any of you will perish. And he he took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And they began, they broke it, and they began to eat. Thank God for Paul. Everybody else was saved on this boat because of one man on that ship. Paul, obviously watching, praying one night, an angel of the Lord was sent to him. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Paul. Take courage. And the words were, for you must appear before Caesar. Paul, you must appear before Caesar. What is that? Everyone say destiny. Was was there a sense of purpose attached to Paul's life? Right? There was a sense of purpose attached to Paul's life. Do you know very early on, or early on in the book of Acts, a few chapters earlier, In Acts 23 and verse 11, it says this. But on the night, immediately following, the Lord stood at his side, by Paul's side, and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, Paul, you must also witness at Rome. So God had told him four chapters earlier, Paul, just like you were bold in your witness of me at Jerusalem, You have to witness in Rome. Remember, Rome was the ruling authority of their day. Jews were oppressed by by Romans. And Romans had numerous colonies all over this area. It was God's express will that the Apostle Paul would declare the gospel, not just at Rome, but even the highest courts, judicial courts, before Caesar. It was part of Paul's destiny. The lesson that I extract from this is this. Destiny will always protect you. A sense of purpose attendant with your life, especially when it's critical and strategic purpose. No matter what you experience in life, you will always come out. Because the strength and the thrust of the destiny attendant with your life will override any threat designed by the enemy against your life. Even Jesus, although he literally came to die, before his actual death at 33, maybe he died when he was 33 years old, or 33 and a half. There were many attempts made on his life not so. Many attempts made on the life of the Lord, but he did not die except at the the appointed time. Tell your neighbor, become a man or woman of destiny. Tell him a man of purpose. Let me just say this to you. All of you have a purpose. All of you have a divine purpose. There's something God has earmarked for you to do that nobody else can. If you're a son of God, there's purpose attendant with your life. And if you're governed by that purpose, what does the scripture say? All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. That purpose, contextually, is that Christ would be the firstborn son In you. But attendant with that also is the fact that every single one has a unique design and destiny in God. I declare to you that you will not die until your purpose is done. Acts 13.36 says, David, after he served his generation by the will of God, then he slept or he died. Didn't die before that. He died after it was going to be full." full. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He said, I'm ready to be poured out like a... And he writes from a Roman prison. Eh? Second Timothy was his last letter. He writes with Roman soldiers guarding him, ready to... He died by beheading, Paul it. He knew that going to Rome wasn't just going to minister. The gospel is, is, is going to his certain death. But he said this, I, have no, I, 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 I do not count my life dear unto myself, if by any means... I might fulfill the ministry that God gave me. So he goes there being thoroughly committed to fulfilling the destiny of God upon his life. And I want to, I want to encourage every single one of you, become a woman of destiny. Become a man of purpose, because in the hour of your greatest rocking by you, rock-lidden, it will not lead to your demise. Because the purpose attendant with your life is too important to God to let you loose and let you um, uh, die in that storm. I, let me declare, the purpose in my life is far too important for me to go out prematurely. You must say that to yourself. It will protect you. And in seasons where you feel like it's being threatened, it is wise to seek God by praying, fasting, like Paul did. It will confer an immunity and a protection upon your life's destiny. Amen? In Mark 4, 34 and 31, the Bible says Jesus was on a boat with his disciples. And a great storm ensued there too. Where was Jesus, by the way? Mark says he was in the back part of the boat. Sleeping with his head on a pillow. Mark can be very detailed in his gospel. Right? Doesn't it say you were sleeping? You're sleeping in the back part, behind the hinder part, King James, with his head on a pillow. And the disciples are fearful, terrified for their lives. And, and they woke Jesus up. Jesus said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you so what? Why are you so fearful? What's the first thing the angel said to Paul? Paul, do not fear. Be courageous. You will not die. You must appear before, God, before Caesar in Rome. The angel was saying to him, do not fear this storm. The purpose of, of God attending with your life is so important. Purpose will preserve you through this one. Right? Jesus says to his disciples, guys, why are you so fearful and what did he do the bible says he spoke he rebuked the wind and he said peace he spoke to the elements the storm and jesus said he had rule over nature and he said peace be still and then the bible says suddenly a great calm at the command of the lord now in that instance he commanded the the storm and you know for me when i analyzed that he had no intentions of commanding the storm. He only silenced or calmed the storm because of the fear of his disciples. If Jesus had his way, he was going to sleep through that one too. I think he must have said, guys, you're disturbing me. I was in my seventh dream. Why are you waking me up? I know we're in the storm, but I'm trying to teach you, this is the posture that you must adopt when going through a storm. Let the storm lull you to sleep. Let the storm rock you to sleep. Amen. Tamo taught us this. Jesus was only able to speak to the storm because he was able to sleep in the storm. His authorization to command it was rooted in his ability to be calm in it. I want to encourage you when when, when life's winds and you rock and assails you, be calm. Don't be anxious. Don't fret. Don't be angry. Don't be, don't be, um, running hither and thither. Express trust and confidence in your God. But there are some storms you cannot command. There are some storms you're going to have to sail through. Sail through, you must. Do you know this storm elevated Paul to such a position of honor and respect among them? Because they now knew definitely, this is a man of God. If you read read tonight, the, how this thing plays out. They, they landed on an island called Malta. He goes there, and God lifts him up into a place of such honor in the presence of the ruling um, uh, bodies or persons in that island and in the opinion of all the islanders themselves. Right? Who knows what's waiting for you around this rocklidden? Who knows what God is preparing for you around the corner? If, we only, if you can only see the outcome of, of your storm. I want to encourage you. I want to stress again, Jesus had no intentions of calming the storm. He only did it for where, how immature His disciples were in their stage of development with Him. If He had His way, He was intending to sleep through it. There are some storms you're just going to have to go through, and while you go through them, sleep through them. Here's a lovely verse, Isaiah 43 verse 1. Now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, he who formed your Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Psalm 66, verse 10 to 12. Listen. For you have tried us, O God, and you have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. Listen. You made men run over our heads. We went through the fire and we went through the water, but yet you brought us into a place of abundance. Sometimes the place of abundance is through the fire, is through the water. Sometimes the place of abundance is when God lets men run over your head. Right? You're disesteemed, you're dishonored, you're disrespected. But the outcome of it, through the the water and through the fire, is a place of great abundance. A place of great abundance. How many prisoners were on the ship? Well, with Paul, 200 and 276, well, persons, not prisoners, including everybody, at least, I think. Now, do you remember when after the 14th day, Paul encouraged him to take some something to eat? And the Bible says, Paul, what? He broke bread and he gave it. Yes, it was physical bread, but for us to, to, to understand that allegorically is It'll work something like this. Bread is a reference to the the word of the Lord. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Paul sharing bread is a symbolic indication of the fact that now they were open to the word that he carried, right? They were open to the word of the Lord that he carried as an apostle of of Christ. And do you remember in Luke 24, when Jesus broke bread with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, what happened? It says, and he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Every time bread is broken, or the w- bread is the word, so every time the word of God is shared, who becomes known? Christ becomes revealed, and Christ becomes known. Right? The, 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 rep- the measure of Christ is revealed in their context in this ship only through Christ. The breaking of bread. Paul breaking bread with them. Revealed to them who Paul was in the spirit. A true servant and an apostle of Christ. Like Christ was known to the two in the breaking of the bread at the road to Emmaus. The breaking of bread by Paul not only reveals Christ. But also reveals the servant of Christ. Now Paul is held in high esteem for the one carrying the word of the Lord or the bread of the Lord to them. Acts 27 verse 24 says the following. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been, exactly as I have been told the guarantee of paul's life because of god's purpose attended with paul is now extended to everybody else in close proximity to him or in relationship to him and i want to encourage you if you have a spiritual father who is governed by a sense of purpose or a spiritual leader who is pure and only seeks to do god's will and there's clear evidence in the man's life that there's a sense of mission, purpose, and that there's a path towards accomplishing it. I want to encourage you to stay in close proximity and to heed the voice because there will be a conferment of immunity upon all in that context. Dr. Sege often preaches that God conferred immunity upon the entire nation of Israel simply because of one man, Samuel. The Bible says in the days of Samuel, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. One man, God brought immunity to the whole nation because of him. And very often the purposes of God with the group will often depend on the group's positioning towards the man of God that he has chosen to lead and guide him. This is a very very important, sp- I don't want to make light of it or gloss over it. it. Seems like um, I would not naturally teach or preach these things because to the carnal mind. It seems like you're propping yourself up. No, we're not doing that. It's it's simply a biblical principle by which the Lord, by which the Lord governs. There are some, you know. Dr. Segi interestingly said at the last uh, Apostolic School of Ministry, he said this. He was dealing with numerics, three one eight son, you know. The one five three number of fish, and he came to this passage. He says there was two hundred and seventy six people on this particular ship, and he analyzed it as follows: two hundred and seventy six is six times sixty four. Two hundred and seventy six, six is the number of the the flesh, the number of man. Sixty four is the number of Adam, the first man, because every human being has got sixty four chromosomes, right. So it's the flesh and the number of, of, of Adam. You would soon discover, if you read on into the next chapter, that these guys who enjoyed the grace that flowed from Paul, at first opportunity when they arrived, they jumped on another ship. And Dr. Sege says, there are some that will stay with you on your ship until they derive benefit from you. But given the opportunity, they soon depart from you. To pursue another ship. They soon depart to pursue another ship. I want to encourage you don't jump ship. <laughs> don't bail. Don't gijima. Don't balega. Don't kick down. If I knew the Greek weather, I have told you. I know all the colloquials. If you find a man of God faithful, pure, honest, governed by a sense of destiny, the piloting the ship of your life, giving the word of the Lord, giving guidance, giving direction, I want to encourage you, stay close. Jesus said to his disciples, he ordained, the Bible says, he ordained the twelve that they might be with him. That they might be with him. There is much safety and benefit in this. I want to close just by by, by sharing one thought. Um, and let me just say this: if some of you need to fast for these reasons, then clarify them quickly, consolidate them quickly within your within your mind. I said to you, Luke and Aristarchus were on the ship, fellow companions. this was not a a trip to Honolulu <laughs> to enjoy some Vacation on sunny beaches. I like these kinds of companions that accompany this apostle, knowing that probably they too could lose their lives in Rome. They were not ashamed of Paul, nor of Paul's sufferings. When Paul would write to Timothy, Paul said to him, My son, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, and do not be ashamed of me, the Lord's prisoner. He was a prisoner of Rome, but really he was handcuffed to the Lord, Paul was. He was bound to God's purposes at all costs to do God's will. But these two brews, I really like them. Luke and Aristarchus accompany him, did not desert him like, who was the guy that left Paul? Demas on the one occasion. And Demas "Demas had deserted me, having loved this, this present world. Let me encourage you john said this in revelation 1 verse 9 i john your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation they are brothers john says i'm your brother in tribulation they are brothers but they are brothers in tribulation they are those brews that will stay with you in your deepest darkest hour there are some people that will walk with you through your most difficult times those are true brothers, John says. I'm your brother. Where, in tribulation? This is what Jesus said to the twelve, Luke twenty two twenty eight. He says, "You are those who have stood by, who have stood by me in all of my trials. You stood by me in all of my trials. Luke and Aristarchus stood by Paul in all of his own trials. Let me ask you and place a burden upon you. There are times where you're going to have to fast with somebody because of your support for them. Luke and Aristarchus find themselves in the midst of Euroclodon simply because of their love for Paul. Luke and Aristarchus find themselves beset by trouble simply because of their devotion to a spiritual father in this context. And I want to encourage you, it is commendable and admirable never to desert a valid spiritual father in the times of his own personal testing. Do not be like Absalom, who in David's weakest moment decided to rebel against his father and try and usurp the throne. Okay? These these two, Luke and Aristarchus, stood with Paul. They were true brothers in? True brothers in tribulation, they stood with Paul in all of his trials. You know what Esther said? Let me read to you Esther four sixteen. She said, "Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa. Fast for me," she says. "Tell your neighbor fast for me." Here's a bold request by Queen, Queen Esther. She says, "You fast, but you do it for." Me, there are times we would have to support one another in prayer and fasting as a demonstration that we are brothers in tribulation. You see someone going through a hard time, you don't stand aloof from it. You say, I might not be experiencing the same as you, but because of my love for you, because of my connectedness to you, I will fast for you because I perceive, like in Esther's case, with you is attendant great purpose. So I better fast and support you. For in my support of you, I too will be saved. Right? And she said this. She said, fast for me to not eat and drink for three days. This was a total fast. No food, no water. For three days, night or day. And then she says, I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus, I will go into the king. Which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. She says. I want to encourage you. What is the time, by the way? 5 or 7. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay, we won't go on. There's some other scripture I wanted to go on. Let me make this statement. At Paul's conversion, he fasted. Not so? Before his conversion as a Pharisee, he fasted. Pharisees fasted twice a week. Paul's whole life was punctuated by fasting. When he was part of the Antioch leadership in Acts 13, he fasted together with five other brethren. And they saw to the Lord, and they ministered unto the Lord by, by fasting. In Acts 14, when they selected elders for all the churches, the Bible says, and Paul and Barnabas fasted and commended them to the, to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, he lists a list of things by which he qualified himself as a minister of Christ. Amongst the long list, he says this. In fastings, I've been there often. In fastings, often. You cannot do apostolic ministry like Paul did without fasting being an essential part and component of of your life. And I want to encourage you. Amidst many storms that you're going to face, I'm going to have to face in life, Build up a reservoir of strength that will enable you to navigate safely through to the other side. I declare over you, your your life will not be lost. Neither will you lose any cargo, as it were. God will preserve you simply because in this kind of fasting, matters will be resolved, consolidated. Matters like heeding the voice of a spiritual father, avoiding calamity because you've listened there. You've listened the first time, but even if you haven't, tonight there is grace and mercy extended because God deems and counts these purpose attendant with your life so valuable and so meaningful. Amen. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you that you will preserve us. You will protect us through life's storms. I pray a confirmant right now of protection and immunity upon us all tonight. I thank you there will be no loss of any aspect of destiny. There will be no loss of any aspect of purpose for everybody's life. I ask for mercy and grace to be extended to every single family. I decree and declare and declare that nothing will be lost, but that you will preserve your plans, your intents, attendant with every single life. For both us and our children, I ask that you would safely take us through. Some of us are facing severe Northeasters, violent agitations of some kind or the other father i pray that as we seek you by prayer and fasting you give us an assurance tonight lord that we too will attain all of your will concerning us i pray there'll be no dilution no detour no derailing of destiny but everything will be held intact nothing missing nothing broken nothing untoward will assail anybody tonight i thank you for Uh, you having led us thus far and i pray father that you would graciously lead us on for like paul you said to him that he must appear before caesar in rome lord there are certain aspects of our destiny that you have for us that we certainly must do there are certain points in our walk with you at which we simply must arrive we call those things into being now we ask O god let us come to that place of finalization let us come to the place where we will certainly attain the will of the Lord. For our lives personally, I decree and declare over every single person's life that there will be an arrival point. There will be a point at which you will arrive and you will say, Surely, through it all, the Lord has brought me safe thus far. I've been through the fire. I've been through the water. You let men run over my head. But, Father, you've brought me into a place of enlargement. You've brought me into a place of great abundance. There will be honor. There will be the swift execution of the will of the Lord for every single one of our lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.